Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to be talking about what happened in Columbus uh, earlier this year during the protests that turned riots in downtown Columbus. And of course, Columbus hosts our state capitol, where our state capitol is, the state Supreme Court, uh, the um, Road Center, which is where the Attorney General's offices are, and other state offices. And on May 28th, Uh, There was a protest that turned riots that became very destructive in downtown Columbus. We've reported that on this program, and of course, as the State House itself became the target of severe vandalism that night as windows were broken and uh, the front door was compromised and actually anarchists at that point entered the building. There was only a handful of highway patrol on guard that night and had uh, needed assistance by Columbus police to discharge uh, those who had broken into the building. Uh, Again, on June 18th, there was another act of vandalism, again, which we have reported on this program, and that was in broad daylight as protesters then... uh, went onto the state house grounds with buckets of paint and began to smear the pillars, the steps, the monuments, the state motto uh, on the uh, state house grounds, actually creating damages that amounted upwards of $160,000. And that price has gone up of what it's going to pay uh, charge the taxpayers. Well, the city uh, prosecutor did not follow through with, uh, as the arrests were made, at least on May 28th, there were no arrests immediately on June 18th, but we have a report for you, an update, but let's go to that Channel 6 report of when this all first happened. This is ABC Channel 6 in Columbus. The State House has been a repeated target, and Governor DeWine is vowing to put a stop to it. Jeff Reddick live at the State House tonight with more. So, Jeff, how can how does he plan to do that? Well, you're going to see a lot more armed presence from troopers with the Ohio State Highway Patrol. For example, you can see them now Four to six of them have been posted by the McKinley Monument here out front. They're also posted at the main entrances to the State House. And way up there, you can see they're also still posted outside the Columbus Monument, which has seen some vandalism, too. This is all a much greater police presence than we had seen over the last two weeks. And that's because vandals had again splashed paint, including red handprints and words against police across the building last week. It eventually took a private company to wash off much of the vandalism. This is a part of protesting that the governor believes has no place in Columbus. He says he will not tolerate it and neither will the Highway Patrol. My instructions to them uh, is that when there is vandalism, when there is any act uh, that's illegal, uh, they are to investigate it and they are to take that once they get the case uh, and to take that prosecution and we're going to seek prosecution. The governor had also noted that small businesses in Columbus have seen vandalism as well. He said that that is also not to be tolerated because these are businesses owned by men and women who've put work into them for many years and don't deserve to see their dreams dashed by vandals. Now, the governor also said he had spoken with Mayor Ginther about what's gone on in the city and says that he's instructed the highway patrol to also take action against anybody who can 
carries out any kind of violence out here where protests have happened. Violence against police, he says, will also not be tolerated near the grounds of the State House and will be prosecuted as well. Live at the State House, I'm Jeff Reddick, ABC 6 News. And of course, that was a report by ABC Channel 6 in Columbus earlier this summer. Since that time, of course, the city uh, uh, attorney uh, has not followed through with arrests and or prosecutions, even though there were arrests on the night of May 28th. Uh, there were 14 arrests originally on May 28th of the damages at the State House, but those uh, charges were dropped, were not pursued by the city attorney. Now, the county prosecutor is John, uh, Ron O'Brien. He's with us on the phone, and he did take up the cause, and he has pursued the investigation. Let me read uh, this to you from the Highway Patrol after that the governor had made a statement. In fact, the governor stated this, I have spoken with Ohio State Highway Patrol Colonel Richard Fambro about security at the Ohio State House, and I shared with him my anger and disgust at the vandalism that occurred there yesterday. I support the right to peacefully protest. However, defacing, damaging, and vandalizing our state capitol and its grounds are wrong, and such actions are criminal. The Ohio State Highway Patrol is conducting a criminal investigation into these yesterday's acts, and they will send their findings to the appropriate authorities for potential prosecution. Well, we have good news in that there has been indictments that have come down. Arrests have been made. Indictments have come down. And really, that's thanks in large part to the gentleman that's on the phone with me right now, and that's Franklin County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien. Mr. O'Brien, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you, Chris. I appreciate the uh, invitation to talk a little bit about uh, these cases that arose from the protests and the riots here in Columbus. You know, uh, you had talked about when we were on the phone and talked about downtown these days recently has looked like a war zone as many buildings have been boarded up uh, due to all the broken glass on the, the frontage of many businesses and restaurants downtown. And uh, being a public policy representative myself with the Ohio Christian Alliance, representing uh, people of faith across the state in the many travels that I've taken to Columbus and to our state house, it was really disturbing to see our state capital in the downtown downtown area look this way? Your thoughts? Well, I think uh, what I uh, used in our conversation is exactly how it looked. It looked like a war zone with plyboard uh, or plywood uh, and boards uh, all over buildings in the downtown area, whether they are office buildings, uh, churches, restaurants, uh, and broken glass laying on the ground in front uh, until it was cleaned up. We had the problem that you related to where actually someone was arrested uh, inside the state house in uh, Auditor Keith Faber's uh, office in the state house and others who went in after they took a heavy uh, iron trash can and broke out a window in the state house uh, on the side that faces High Street and actually crawled through the window there and uh, were arrested inside. So we have taken, uh, much like the uh, news clip that you just played for your listeners, uh, I at least have taken the view that certainly everybody has a right to protest uh, peacefully, and uh, most of the people here in downtown Columbus were protesting peacefully and exercising their First Amendment rights, but there were some uh, others that used that peaceful process as a vehicle to engage in violent conduct, 
uh, to uh, vandalize businesses, vandalize the state house and uh, other property. And if we could prove a case, uh, I told the Highway Patrol, the Columbus Police, and uh, and actually I was working with uh, the Columbus Police daily through this time frame, that if we have a case and someone's engaged in violent conduct or property damage, we want to prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. And we have, I think, to date, uh, 20 indictments uh, against individuals who engaged in various crimes uh, of either vandalism, arson, uh, looting, uh, robbery, um, and um, fleeing the police when the police may chase them, weapons offenses. Uh, we had one man who was arrested uh, on the corner uh, where City Hall sits at Broad in Front with a uh, AK-47 kind of weapon, and we indicted him for ha- he was on probation for robbery, Huh. We in, we indicted him for having a weapon under disability, being the, the prior robbery uh, conviction. And actually, after his arrest and indictment here, we worked with a federal prosecutor, uh, Dave DeVillers, who used to be in charge of our gang unit here in our office. He was appointed by President Trump to be the United States attorney last year. And uh, we dropped our case because he took the case federally where the penalty can be up to 20 years in prison if you're a felon in possession of a firearm in a riotous kind of situation. So we have tried to work not only with uh, the FBI on people that we uh, believed had traveled to Columbus to engage in violent conduct as part of infiltrating the protests uh, and the U.S. Attorney's Office, Columbus Police, and the Highway Patrol and agree wholeheartedly um, with Governor DeWine that violent conduct as part of uh, the protest won't be tolerated if uh, we can prove it. As you might suspect, and here's part of the problem, uh, Chris, is uh, people uh, who were engaging in this conduct, even if the police had on body cams or if you have surveillance video, they were wearing masks uh, because of the pandemic, uh, and you know, were having difficulty identifying who they were. And that's what took us so long to charge the people that defaced with red paint the state house grounds you talked about earlier. Let's talk about that in just a minute, About because uh, there's two dates of real incidents. May 28th, of course, was the major rioting that took place in downtown Columbus. We previously had on this program members of the NAACP of Ohio, Pastor John Coates, who serves as an officer of the state commission, and he said, we were not invited to this so-called peaceful protest. He said, I went down there. I heard about it on the news that night. I am a resident of uh, Columbus, he says, a longtime resident, a went downtown to see what was happening, and he said, I saw instruments of destruction. I saw uh, frozen water bottles. I saw boards with nails in them. I saw pallets with concrete. And he said, I saw people uh, urging others to commit acts of vandalism and destruction and rioting downtown. He eyewitnessed that. We put that in a report we called War Zone Columbus, still boarded up. And we took uh, the eyewitness reports that we had gleaned by talking to uh, law enforcement, actually, that were on duty that night, the, the men that uh, actually arrested those at the State House uh, that also uh, 
uh, people who live downtown in condominium units. And, you know, it's block after block after block. And I know, Ron, you're, uh, you care about your county. You care about this city. And I know it breaks your heart to see it. And, you know, uh, obviously we agree with the right of peaceful protest, but this wasn't. This was anarchy. And it was those who uh, actually, there were outside agitators, according to some that came in, uh, to actually instigate and, and urge people on for destruction. But the state house itself is a symbol of the people's house of where we do uh, peaceful, civil dialogue. We may disagree on issues, uh, but we do it in a peaceful way of exchange. That is our form of representative government. And for that to show 26 windows broken out, all the first floor windows broken out that night, the front doors compromised, destruction that took place inside um, is very disturbing uh, indeed. And we appreciate that you have followed up where city government actually has failed the state government in not pursuing uh, prosecutions of these individuals. Your office has pursued them, and we're appreciative of that. Uh, you know, I was able to obtain a police report uh, through our network of volunteers. It was actually the call log, the Columbus Police call log from May 28th that night. It's 35 pages long. It basically is the transmission between the officers in the street back with dispatch with each line item of each alarm, Ron, that went off in every building that was going off because those alarms go back to the police station. It's 35 pages of it. And then, of course, all the different destruction that was going on. Your office is pursuing. How many indictments do we have right now uh, from uh, those who have committed destruction? What's your office have? 20 uh, how many again 20 uh, it's a total of 20 individuals that are uh, indicted some of the indictments have multiple counts for example disrupting public services inducing panic vandalism uh, and tampering with evidence because uh, they attempted to dispose of the pellet gun they used to shoot out the window of the bus that's just one case i mentioned but the most egregious case i uh, i would like to tell you about uh, is a is a fella who uh, on his way downtown, decided to come downtown. He stopped at a corner grocery store, bought some lighter fluid, some uh, uh, Corona uh, beer, and and some socks, went outside, dumped the beer out of the bottles, put the lighter fluid in the bottles, and then put the socks in the bottles as a wick, and uh, came downtown with, his, uh, with six uh, Molotov cocktails he made, carrying them, walked downtown. Uh, when he got in the area of uh, Broad and uh, Grant, or uh, between Grant and uh, Cleveland Avenue, he um, started throwing these Molotov cocktails after he lit the uh, socks at police officers who were wearing riot gear, as uh, luckily they were. Uh, and over a period of the next several hours, he threw rocks, bottles, Molotov cocktails at police. And then, and luckily this is on social media, he broke into uh, the Adam H. Uh, building, which is the alcohol, drug abuse, mental health uh, uh, agency for Franklin County. He broke into the building, uh, and we have that on video. And he set a couch in the lobby on fire, and you can actually see him standing over this fire that is uh, arching upward. And uh, we ended up when everything uh, was put out by the fire department, both the, the, the fire and water damage was a quarter million dollars. Uh, uh, luckily this person, because we had his photo on, uh, 
social media, we were able to identify him, arrest him, and he's charged with aggravated arson. He's uh, charged with felonious assault uh, for attempting uh, to cause harm to the officers by throwing Molotov cocktails at him. He also lit uh, on on fire a nearby building after he started the fire on the couch in the Adam H. building. And and here, uh, uh, what was that doing to remedy the incidents that he or anybody else was protesting? It was just just violent conduct uh, and, uh, that luckily didn't cause harm. Uh, serious harm to officers, and then burning down a, a county building that's designed to service those that need help the most. It's just uh, uh, disturbing and understates it. Is that uh, individual being held in jail while he awaits trial? He was in jail, and we filed a motion he'd be held in jail, but uh, there was a very large bond set, too. I'm going to say uh, a million dollars, million. I think it was a million and a half uh, by the municipal court judge. Uh, but when he got over to Common Pleas Court, the bond was reduced. It was still substantial, and his family uh, posted it. Uh, so he is out of jail and actually is, uh, they say, in some kind of rehab treatment program, uh, uh, but he is not in jail. Uh, he was probably for maybe two or three weeks after his original arrest. And he is awaiting trial on these very serious charges. We're talking yes. with uh, Franklin County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien. And, of course, uh, Franklin County is where the city of Columbus is in central Ohio and where our state government is hosted. And, of course, unfortunately, the scene of riots on May 28th and then again on June 18th as... Um, uh, paint vandalism took place to the state house. Now, Ron, uh, as you as that we heard on that uh, audio clip earlier in the program, this paint actually they had to the, they had to hire a contractor with special equipment when they first came out to try to power wash it out. Uh, the next couple of days, they realized that the power wash unit was destroying some of the sandstone. So they had to rethink how they were going to do it. They had to hire and uh, acquire some special equipment for the paint removal. This is not just simple, you know, paint. And, of course, uh, you know, this was really expensive damages. And it, it, between the broken windows and the paint vandalism, it amounted to $160,000, but that cost is bound to go higher. Uh, you have some indictments on the June 18th event. Let's talk about that, the painting incident. In fact, in other words, we could say you caught them red-handed. Tell us how that happened. Yes, actually, uh, how the people were identified, because uh, the Ohio Patrol uh, stopped some people who were heading towards the uh, steps in the front of the state house uh, and thought that they had you know prevented them from doing that and uh, while they went inside, another group arrived and they painted uh, put their hands in the red uh, paint in the cans and then put their red paint handprints on those oh, probably six-inch diameter columns that are uh, across the front of the state house, and then on these uh, steps, um, probably eight or ten, twelve steps, uh, some of that is marble, uh, going up to enter the state house, which that material was uh, porous, and so when you got paint on it, it um, went into the 
columns and went into the concrete and the marble and it was very difficult as you just mentioned to remove so they had had and did hire a uh, special cleaning crew to do that and they did get it cleaned up but uh, the delay in getting some charges filed on that and actually on the fellow that broke into the state house the question initially was uh, was it a criminal trespass which is a misdemeanor that would be handled by the city attorney's office or was it something more serious such as vandalism with uh, damage to government property that would make it a felony where we would handle it and so we uh, did further investigation first trying to identify the people and luckily the people that had the red paint in front of the state house they bragged about it to some uh, news media and we were able to through that process identify who two of them were and then the Highway Patrol and the Columbus Police reviewed their body cams to see if they could see who the individuals may have been that were, uh, and they identified two other people that way. So right now there are uh, three people charged with vandalism, criminal damage, and criminal mischief for the red paint incident, and there is a fourth that we have a file on who's not yet been charged, but he was just identified through that process of looking at the surveillance uh, video, which I might add, uh, the, as a result of the, these incidents, that we found that the surveillance uh, cameras inside the state house itself uh, were old enough that they were very poor pictures, and you actually couldn't identify the people that were uh, trespassing in the state house after they broke in. And I've had a conversation with Senator uh, Andrew Brenner, who is uh, going to get some money in the budget this year to improve the surveillance cameras. That's right, high-resolution cameras for the state house. Exactly, be, because uh, we'll have a robbery at a uh, uh, a small grocery store, and they had better video equipment to identify the robber of a small uh, a corner grocery store than they had in our state house, which I found somewhat amazing, Chris. Well, that's right, and uh, so and kudos to Andrew Brenner, who is a longtime uh, a public servant here in Central Ohio, that he's picking it up and doing something over it. Well, and he has a bill right now that will make it a third degree felony for anyone committing acts of vandalism or destruction at state property. That would include the state house, the state supreme court, the uh, uh, road center, the anything uh, to do with the auditor's office, attorney general, secretary of state, or any statute display of the state. It would be a third degree felony. And then again, there was vandalism, paint vandalism to the war memorials at the state house and our state motto. Uh, this is what was very disturbing of what you know people saw in the reports in the media. And, of course, we reported as an organization because we encourage people to go to the state house to uh, weigh in on public policy and to share with legislators your views on uh, public policy. And so for this to uh, the state house, after 163 years, without any known vandalism that, like we have seen this year on May 28th and June 18th. So it is good to know that somebody is uh, taking uh, the reins here and is going to prosecute those who committed these damages uh, Mr. Prosecutor, we appreciate that. Obviously, if these people are convicted, they're, they're looking at jail time. Yes? Yes, yes. All of the people we had, and I might tell you, there were 141 arrests. Uh, 122 of them were misdemeanors, and uh, 19 were felonies. And so far, uh, we have indicted 20 people out of uh, the 
protests and riots. Well, thank you. Happy with that result. Uh, very good. And so we'll make your press release available. Also, information will be available at our website. We've run out of time, but thanks for being my guest today. Well, thank you for the invitation, and uh, good luck with your fine work. Thank you. And again, that's uh, County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien from Franklin County. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. This is Albert Butler with another word about the upcoming election. There is so much at stake. We might not be able to vote as conveniently as we have voted before, but that just puts on Christian citizens the responsibility to work even harder to make sure that we vote and that our vote counts. Too much is at stake to sit this election out. So, whatever it takes, go vote. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue and we're back, and we again want to thank uh, County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien from Franklin County for joining us. And if you didn't hear there towards the end, they have 20 people that have been indicted uh, for the damages of downtown Columbus, including the four individuals that they have now indicted on felony charges for destruction on June 18th. That was the paint vandalism that uh, they uh, vandalized the statuary uh, monuments of war, war memorials and, of course, the steps, the uh, state motto itself. In the pillars of the state house, and good work uh, by the county prosecutor's office of Franklin County, Ron O'Brien, uh, who will see to it. Uh, these people are facing serious charges, and they will be spending some time in jail uh, for the acts of vandalism and crimes that they committed. But that's what it's about. We believe in law and order in this country, and we have lived in a time this summer of anarchy and lawlessness and the bible warns about a time like that when you know why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing this is what the bible says in psalm 2 and you know christian we ask ourselves what can we do what can we do uh psalm 11 verse 3 it says if the foundations be destroyed what can the righteous do well we can do two things we can pray and we can vote in Luke 18, 1, Jesus said that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Well, this is a time for a call to prayer and repentance. And this weekend, 
in the on the mall in Washington. There's a tremendous prayer gathering. In fact, there's two. Franklin Graham has called for a prayer march, a prayer walk, as it were, from the Lincoln Memorial to the U.S. Capitol, and he has called people to pray. There's also another prayer gathering called the Return, and pastor, uh, the pa- pastor and author Jonathan Kahn. Uh, actually has a message, and we're going to go to that right now, about what's called a time of fasting, prayer, and repentance for our nation at this time on the Mall in Washington this Saturday, September the 26th. Let's listen. This is Jonathan Kahn. We are standing at a pivotal moment in American history and world history, a moment that can permanently seal our nation's course and the course of the world for good, for bad, for calamity or redemption. America and much of Western civilization was founded on a biblical foundation stone, but it's turned away from that foundation. We have not only driven God out of our public life and have called what is good evil and what is sin good, but we have sacrificed the lives of over 60 million unborn children And America's fall from God is not only progressing, it's accelerating to the point that it's no longer just a falling away, but a war against the purposes of God. I wrote in the Harbinger of the signs of judgment that appeared in the last days of ancient Israel, warning of calamity, and that these same signs of warning have now appeared on American soil. The biblical template concerning judgment is that the nation so warned is given a space of time to return or to head for judgment and calamity. We are now in that window of time. But if America continues on its present course, that window will come to an end and there will come a flood that will begin the end of religious freedom, even usher in persecution and seal America's fall. And if America falls, it will affect the entire world. This year, 2020, is crucial as it leads to a presidential election in which the stakes are higher and the necessity of prayer more critical than ever before. And even if the election goes in the direction of biblical values and righteousness, if we don't see a spiritual turning, an awakening, a repentance, revival, then all the political, legal, judicial, and cultural efforts will ultimately fail or be undone. We have a window of time, and the purpose of that window is to return and for revival. Without that return, America will be lost. What can we do? What can you do? In the days following 9-11, people flocked to houses of worship, and it looked as if there could have been a spiritual revival, an awakening. But it never came, because there was no repentance. And without repentance, Without a turning back, there can be no revival. But I have seen, once in my life, the hand of God change the course of American and world history. And it all began, not in the halls of government, but with the people of God who gathered in a sacred assembly in our nation's capital with the scripture, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their sinful ways Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. It can happen again. But if we don't respond now, at this most critical moment, we may never have the chance to do so again. 
Since the time of 9-11, I've been calling for return, for repentance, for revival, not only as individuals, but as a nation, according to 2 Chronicles 7.14. At the same time, a faithful man of God, Kevin Jessup, has for years carried the burden of a sacred assembly for that same purpose of restoration. We are convicted that now is the time. Therefore, this is the announcing of the return, the national and global day of prayer and repentance. It will be a day and more than a day, a time and a season for the movement for prayer, repentance, return, and revival. The central day will be Saturday, September 26th in a sacred assembly according to what is laid forth in scripture to take place in our nation's capital on the Washington Mall. For those who can't make it or want to do something where you are, then gather together in your states, your cities, in your towns, in your houses of worship, in your homes, or be part of those gatherings already planned. This will take place not only 40 days before the presidential election, but also on the 400th anniversary of the sailing of the Mayflower in the days of America's founding and dedication to God. And surrounding the day of return on September 26th will be 10 days known from ancient times as the 10 days of repentance, starting with the Feast of Trumpets and ending on the Day of Atonement to set as a special time to intensify our prayers, our intercessions for repentance and revival. September 18th to September 28th. Believers and leaders who are already part of the return include everybody from Pat Robertson to Dr. James Dobson, from Billy Graham's daughter, Anne Graham Lotz, to Martin Luther King's niece, Alveda King, and many, many more. When does the return begin? Right now. How? With you and me, as we commit this time and this year for return, prayer, repentance, and revival. To commit first to our own repentance and to begin actually living in revival and then to pray for others, the return and revival of our nation and the world. You who are parents, begin by leading your families in revival. Ministers, lead your groups in revival. Pastors, lead your churches into revival. Leaders of ministries, movements, and denominations, lead your people into revival. And spread the word to everybody you can. Let the believers, pastors, and churches in your areas know. Use social media. Use everything you can to spread the word so they can have a part. And that is the return this Saturday. It is a call to prayer, fasting, and repentance. It begins with us, church. It begins with us fasting, praying, repenting, and seeking the face of God. We need to be immersed in the presence of God. And there's no greater way than to set aside food, but to put the word in front of you, to pray, to seek his face. There will be thousands in Washington. There will be hundreds at our state capitol and at courthouses across America and also in our homes. And so you, you may not be able to go to Washington or to the Ohio State House, but you can gather in around your family and you can log on to the website, The Return, and you can actually follow along online and to pray with us. With me on the phone is a brother pastor, Pastor Rodney Lord from Freedom Gate Church in Marietta, Ohio. Pastor, welcome to the program. 
Well, thank you, Chris. It's great to be with you this afternoon. This is an exciting uh, announcement that you're making. Well, that's right. You know, it's been 40 years. You and I both were there on the Mall in Washington on April 29th, 1980, another time when our nation was at a crossroads. We were coming out of the 80, we were coming out of the 70s, which was a, a time where America questioned itself, when uh, there, was, there was sin abounding in the land. And the Church of Jesus Christ at that time knew and its leaders that there was need for a call of a sacred assembly in Washington, D.C. on April 29th, which historically was the day in which the Jamestown landings took place when they planted a 14-foot cross in the sands of Virginia Beach uh, there in 1609. But there was 1620 when a small band of Christians 400 years ago this year and on this Saturday— 400 years ago this Saturday, they set sail from England, the first church plant into the soils of America, and they landed at Plymouth Rock. And they brought their families, they brought their their wives and their children, but they brought their faith. They didn't come for conquest, they didn't come to exploit the land or its people, they came to seek religious freedom. And brother, that's where we're at today, where religious freedom is under assault. During COVID-19, the church has been dispersed. I've been on the phone with pastors for the last several weeks as we've been preparing for the election with voter registration, voter education, and and basically praying and fasting and uh, seeking the direction of the Lord for our nation. I've been talking to these pastors. They said, Chris, only 30% of my congregation is gathering at this time. Lots of people are still afraid of COVID, or they've been dispersed over this month because we were shut down and had confusion whether we're gathering or not gathering and what's it going to be like, or we social distancing. And so the church is dispersed, Pastor, but we need to be immersed in the presence of God. Let's talk about it. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm convinced, uh, not in my lifetime and and in the history, there's never been a time like this where the church is being called on to arise. And as you know, um, it doesn't necessarily take the entire church. God many times uses a remnant to get what he wants done in history. But this is a, and some have called it a hinge moment. Uh, in history, hmm. uh, the hinge of history. Recently, um, a friend of mine, Dr. Don Crum, released a message at our church, and he used uh, four words, and one of them we're hearing a lot of, and that's the first word is reset. And um, I think the church and the nation is being reset at this time, because like you said, the status quo no longer works. COVID-19 has affected how we get together and how and it's actually causing us to look at our identity. Who are we? What's the, what is our call as the church? And uh, recently I was looking at the church of the seven churches in Revelation, and the Lord spoke to them through John, and basically his word to each one of those churches was for the purpose of resetting them and mm. resetting them. And um, the next word that uh, our, my friend shared with us is recalibrate. And uh, you mentioned it at the very beginning you know, what is recalibrating? It's going back to the truth. You mentioned this scripture, Isaiah 59, that says, truth has fallen in the streets, or if the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? And I think it's time for the righteous to recalibrate to the truth of God's Word. And um, in those churches in Revelation, he was recalibrating them. He was saying, repent, go back to your first love and go back to your first works. And another 
part of those scriptures to all the seven churches. It says, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And that's what we're pressing into, and I'm encouraging my fellow pastors in our church to say, let's listen. What is the, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? How can we engage more effectively than we ever have before? Amen. I'm reading from Isaiah 58 in verse 5. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will thou call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free? And that ye break every yoke, it is not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that, thy, that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Then shall thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here am I. If thou take away the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger in the speaking vanity, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness as the noonday, and the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones, that thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. You know, Pastor, as you and I were there 40 years ago on that day, and it was raining the night before, and that morning as we got on our faces before God, and I remember on the mall in Washington literally prostrate with my face on the ground with thousands others. I looked around. They were doing the same thing. Some kneeling, some on their faces, literally laying down before the Lord and, and seeking him, repenting of our own sins. And then something happened. There was a breaking in that assembly, a breaking of, first of all, a sorrowing of sin. God, forgive us for our sins and forgive us as a, as a nation. We have sinned, Lord. We've turned against you. And then there was a breaking forth that came forth later. You could sense that the oppression lifted, and God was saying, I am pleased. And there was great joy later that day, and we went forth. You know, I talked to people, Pastor, that they account their salvation that week. They said, that's wow. the week I got saved. So I believe that that's what's going to happen in the Spirit, is that we're going to break forth if we can press in, because we need a move of God. We've got young people, brother, you know it and I know it, they've never seen a move of God. They, they don't right. know, we, they hear us talk about it, but they don't know what it is because they've never experienced it. Let's talk about that. Well, you're right, Chris, back in the, especially in the 70s, as the hippie movement was uh, emerging, so was another movement, uh, and that was the Jesus movement. And um, so uh, God God knows how to release the Spirit in response to our heartfelt prayer, and we have a history of calls to national prayer. Um, I mentioned youth. Uh, Lou Engel, years ago, well, he had a thousand young people on the mall, 
for prayer and fasting and intercession. And then I don't remember the year, it was about 20 years ago when Promise Keepers brought all oh, the yeah. men, that's right. men to the mall with over a million of us there. Yes, that's These right. incredible gatherings yep. uh, are, are so authentic. And, and so, by the way, God, so God used Promise Keepers immensely. And as a, you want to talk about reconciliation. Man, that was happening yes. during Promise Keepers and men coming together. Men, you know, men are, are <laughs> they don't like to really share their emotions and or right. share their feelings with each other or or really just share. Uh, but man, right. Promise Keepers was a mighty move of God. It brought men together. I saw men repenting, weeping, coming to God. And then there was a law. And we've been mm-hmm. at a time where sin has come right. in. I mean, Satanism is on the rise in this country. Atheism is on the rise in this country. Those who are the saddest against our God. They're, you know, and as um, you know, uh, Jonathan was saying, he says, not just we're departing from God, he says there's a warring with God. And you can see right. that in the Straits of America. When somebody says, I may have been born this sex, I'm not that. God may have given me this, but I'm going to be that. I mean, what are you right. doing? How can the thing that is created say to the creator, I am not what you say that I am? I will rebel against that. That's what we're seeing today, isn't it, Pastor? Yeah, uh, without the Spirit of God dwelling richly in our land, then there's a lot of confusion on every mountain of culture, whether it's the governmental mountain, whether it's the media, arts, and entertainment. And and you know this, I'm sure you preach it well, that the church disengaged from those mountains of culture and feeling responsible um, to govern there. And You know, that word govern is important. Um, in the very beginning of Genesis 1, the Lord called man to go out and take dominion and rule. Another word there is to govern. And from the very beginning, we're called to govern. So when we see a nation that's been governed poorly, we can only look back at the church and say, how have we been governing and how have we been raising and messaging the generations to step into these vital leadership roles across the nation to uh, literally reflect the glory of God? What does a nation look like when its top leaders love God with all their heart and live righteously? Well, it looks incredible, and our nation did look incredible like that for many, many years. I want to read you. This is a proclamation back in 19, in, excuse me, 1775, April 19th by the kinetic governor, Jonathan Trumbull, he beseeched that God would graciously pour out his Holy Spirit on us to bring us to a thorough repentance and effectual reformation, that our iniquities may not be our ruin, and that he would restore, preserve, and secure the liberties of this and all the other British American colonies. And listen to this last line, and make the land a mountain of holiness and a habitation of righteousness Amen. forever. Amen. Yeah, that's powerful. I'm reading uh, a book by George Whitfield right now. Of course, he was one of the preachers of the Great Awakening in this country. And, Pastor, we need another Great Awakening. We don't need politics. You know, one of the chapters I'm at uh, in the book on George Whitfield is it's coming up to where there was a great outpouring of God. And in those days, they had gatherings of sixty to 80,000 people in England, wow. it was estimated, before he came back to America. Uh, people couldn't even hear what he was saying, but they sensed the presence of God uh, when they came to the gathering. Uh, But then the next chapter is talking about how politics, 
the politics in the church divided. And folks are saying, well, see, there you go. Politics is a problem. It can be a problem, without question. And if you look at the Jerusalem Council and you look at the Book of Acts, you can see that politics in the church can definitely yeah. be the problem, no doubt about that. And so I've actually hesitated going to that chapter because I was so enjoying the move of God in the revival, and I've got to applaud through that because you know what? Those are the things we got to get through, saints. We can't allow those things to divide us. Now, on Saturday, Franklin Graham is calling some people to the Lincoln Memorial. And then there's another gathering, largely of Pentecostal charismatics, at the Washington Monument. And I would say that mostly fundamentalist evangelical Baptists are going to be with Franklin Graham, and they're planning to walk from the Lincoln Memorial up to the U.S. Capitol. But, but Pastor Rodney, i got to tell you, God's in this because I figure by the time those folks get halfway to the Washington Monument and they're all older, they're going to peter out. <laughs> they're going to say, you know what? We're going to stop right here, just continue to pray. And that's how God's going to bring the whole church together on Saturday. And so it's going to be a great time, uh, I believe, on Saturday, and it's going to be a unity in the body of Christ, and that's what we need. Jesus said, I pray, yeah. Father, they would be one as we are one. And that's church, right. that's what we need right now. We need a regathering. And maybe you're isolated right now. Maybe you just haven't been with family, you haven't been with friends, you haven't been with your church, and you're missing all that. Well, you know, you can tune in with us at the return, and uh, you can actually follow along. Maybe you can't get to Washington. Uh, if you can, folks, if you can drive down, you're hearing this on Thursday, You can, it's a seven-hour drive from Northeast Ohio down to Washington, D.C., if you can get to Columbus, it's a two-hour drive, just over a two-hour drive, and they're going to be meeting at 10 o'clock to 3 o'clock, praying at the state capitol. We'll be in Washington from uh, 9 to 6 p.m. in Washington, D.C., and then Franklin Graham's march is going to be from noon to 2. But you can also gather it around your computer, and you can log on to thereturn.org. And you can go to our website, the Ohio Christian Alliance, ohioca.org, or or Christian Alliance of America, both those websites will have the link there as well. And we ask you to pray. Let me read you this verse from Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Well, the remedy for that, folks, is to repent of our sins, and that's what we're going to do and we're beginning to do right now, between the Feast of Trumpets of Rosh Hashanah and before Ron, Yom Kippur, and at this, uh, this sacred time on the, the spiritual calendar of God, of his Jewish people, but also of the Church of Jesus Christ, and this Saturday, the 400th anniversary of when the pilgrims set sail. Pastor Rodney, we have about uh, a minute left. Could you close us in a word of prayer? I would love to do that. Father, I thank you that uh, today all around the nation— there are people preparing and planning, but they're also praying and understanding the moment in history that we're in. I thank you, Lord, that you are drawing the church together as a great ecclesia, the church that's called out to govern and engage, that America is rising in this moment in history, and that the church is rising and engaging. And Lord, I thank you that you hear our prayers because your word declares and that, Lord, out of that Second Chronicles 7:14, now my eyes shall be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. So, Lord, all of those places that prayers will be offered from homes, from courthouses, from the mall in D.C., we ask, Lord, for an open heaven 
And Lord, I thank you that we will see this nation turn for the glory of God. We will see peace in our streets once again. And we will see, Lord, the harvest that you have declared in A- Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.